0: If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 28, the very end of Matthew chapter 28. It's a familiar passage, but we're, gonna, we're actually going to base all of our teaching around this concept for, for a while. And so we've got a three-week series here on those three words that I mentioned before. Um, but we're going to dive in here to Matthew 28. So find it, and then we'll talk about it in a little bit. This series, we're talking about viewing the Great Commission through a different lens. And I was thinking the last couple of weeks that a global missions experience is a great way to see the world through a different lens. I met a lot of amazing church pastors and planters who are living out their faith in unbelievable ways. And we heard stories of persecution. We saw videos of pastors getting beaten by villages of people. We heard stories of miracles and healings and demonic possession and demons cast out and gospel breaking forth and churches planted and villages transformed. And as we're hearing these stories, it was humbling and inspiring and a little bit convicting at the same time. Convicting in the sense that as I heard the stories of what these men and women are doing in these different parts of the world, I realized that all they're doing is living in obedience to this commission that Jesus has given all of us to fulfill. It's funny, I heard so many stories of amazing, miraculous things, and yet the one story that sticks out to me more than any other was not a story of an actual biographical thing that happened, but a parable that a man named Rajatha, we'll put his picture on the screen. This is, uh, don't take pictures of this, this is the uh, leader of our church planning partnership in Sri Lanka, Rajatha um, brought the 14 church planners that we're supporting into his church, which is right behind him, and we sat in this room, and he did a little bit of training for his church planners, and he told them this parable that all of them understood, but I did not understand, because all of them uh, grew up in the farming, agriculture-type industry, it mostly like farming to provide a food for their family and those things. And so he told this parable about farming that I was riveted to because I'd never understood how farming worked before. And he asked them this question. It was a rhetorical question for them. It wasn't rhetorical to me. He said, what makes someone a farmer? He said, is someone a farmer because they buy a plot of land and they buy a bunch of seeds? And everyone kind of laughed, like, No. He so said, are they a farmer when they take the seeds and scatter them on the soil? No. Are they a farmer when the seeds begin to sprout and green starts to pop up on the ground? He said, no, of course not. So what about when the, the plants grow up to fullness of height? Now are they a farmer? No, they're not a farmer yet. So what about when they take the sickle and they go and they cut down all of the plants and they gather them up and they put them in their storehouse, then are they a farmer? And I'm thinking, yes, right? That's the end. That's the end of the story. Yes. He's like, no. Everybody's like, no. And I'm like, well, when? When? He said, a man is not a farmer until he takes the seeds from last year's crops and scatters them on the soil for the year to come. So now it's repeating. Now it's a cycle. Now the man's not just a planter, he's a, he's a farmer. And he was giving this illustration to these church planners to remind them of the definition that they use in their network of what makes someone a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, the bold claim that Rajatha was making that I had never thought about before was a claim that I don't know if you would agree with. He was telling them that you don't fully become a disciple of Jesus until your faith is reproducing in others. As I thought about that, I thought, I don't know if I agree. I, mean, I, I feel like you become a disciple of Jesus when you first believe and you're saved. right? Or you become a disciple of Jesus when you start following Jesus. A disciple is a follower. right? So you don't have to share your faith to be a disciple of Jesus. And I, I wrestled with this and I thought about this. This concept of what makes someone a disciple. And then I started thinking about the words of Jesus himself. And I realized that Rajatha's definition of discipleship was very similar to Jesus' definition of discipleship. Remember in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus met the first disciples on the seashore and he, and he told them, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the initial vision that he pitched to them was not come follow me, that's it, right? Or come follow me and I'll train you or come follow me and you'll be different. He says, come follow me and I'll send you out at the end. And then as you watch Jesus go through his ministry, you see him play that exact thing out. He calls these men and women to himself. He trains them up. He gives them experiences. He crafts their worldview. And then he dies for their sins. He raises to new life. And then he commissions them. And the passage we'll study today. He takes them up on this mountainside and Jesus, in Matthew 28, 19, he comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. For Jesus... His discipleship of the 12 disciples was not complete until he sowed them on the next generation of believers. He said, now you go. The Apostle Paul says, the things you've heard from me, I want you to entrust these things to reliable men who are able to train others also. There's this iterative pattern that living out our faith in Jesus means sharing it to the next and the next and the next generation. It was convicting to me because I thought, man, I, in our world, here in the States, a lot of times, sharing our faith, it feels more optional. And <laughs> right? it feels more like something that certain evangelist people do, but not all of us. And yet as we look at this Great Commission, and we look primarily at the three main words, the three main terms in the, in the Great Commission, therefore, going, and disciple, or make disciples, We're gonna see that Jesus is trying to equip and empower all of us who know him to partner with him in his disciple-making work. And so this morning we're gonna start with the word, therefore, and of course, ask, like you learn in Bible school, what is it, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. I remember the first time that I was actually asked to evangelize. I was in college at UC Berkeley and I was a new Christian. Somebody had taken me under his wing and said, I'm gonna disciple you. I'm like, great. He understood discipleship and evangelism. I did not. I thought we were going to have a Bible study at a coffee shop and learn some stuff. And we did for several weeks. And then on our last week, he said, you know what? Next week, instead of meeting here, let's meet out on Sprout Plaza, like the kind of major area where all the people hang out at UC Berkeley, and let's just go share our faith with Strangers. Right? And you might know, I'm an introvert, I don't, I don't talk about the weather with strangers, right? let alone the most important thing in the universe, and so I'm terrified, I'm trying to play it off, I'm like, absolutely, of course that's the next step, you're not tricking me, right? Yes, let's do it! But all week long, I'm losing sleep, I'm stressed, I'm praying, and I'm not praying, God, give me the strength to do this, I'm praying, God, you've got to get me out of here, right? <laughs> You take me now, Lord, right? Whatever it is, just save me from this moment. And I remember that Thursday came, and I'm walking down Bancroft, and I can see Sprawl Plaza ahead of me, and as I'm about to turn the corner at the crosswalk, my phone rings. Right? It's a 1999 phone, so it's like this big. My phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's Steve. And he says, Danny, I'm so sorry. I'm stuck in traffic. I'm going to have to cancel. I'm like, there is a God." Right? (laughs) I never have, I have, maybe you're here today, Steve. I've never talked to that guy ever again. And I walked away and I had this quick thought, like, maybe I'm off the hook, right? Like, maybe I'm the one Christian that God's saying, you know what, you get a pass on this one. This isn't for you, it's for everyone else, right? But I, I, I know, and you know, right? We, we, we don't get a pass on the faith-sharing components of the Christian life. It's, it's a huge part of who we are as believers, even within this great commission, when Jesus has says that word, therefore, to start it, here's what the therefore stands for. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Right? If somebody ever comes to you with a high authority level and tells you to do something, I think you're supposed to do it. Right? If you ever hear someone say, stop in the name of the law, right? you're supposed to stop. I don't know if people say that in real life, but you're supposed to stop. Right, if a judge says, "Go to jail," you gotta go to jail, right? When I say to you, by the power vested in me as a minister of the gospel in the state of California, I pronounce you man and wife. You're married now. Sorry, right? You can't take it back. <laughs> right? When authority has been given to someone and then they use their authority to give you a command, you're supposed to do what they say. But it's crazy to me. But it's true. I've experienced this. You probably experienced this. That Jesus, with all authority in the universe. He says, I'd like you to go and tell people about me. And many of us, including me, many times say, you know what? No, thanks. <laughs> not for me. Uh-uh. Right? Or even harsher. Absolutely not. No way. I'm not doing it. I'm not. My faith is a private thing. I don't want to share it with others. That's not me. Get somebody else. Right? And We, we argue when Jesus uses this authority to try to get us partnering with him in this world-changing work. As I wrestled with that these last couple of weeks, I just kept coming back to the fact that I think there's something broken in us. Have you ever had a, something in life that you've just not wanted to do so much that you're just like clamped down and you refuse to do it? Now, I told you a few weeks ago that I had a son who was on a hunger strike. Were you here for that? Uh, we made quesadillas for dinner, and he didn't want to eat his quesadilla. And we're like, well, you need to eat it. He's like, I'm not gonna eat it. We're like, uh-oh. It's on, right? As a parent, if you're a parent. What are you supposed to do, right? So, okay, you win, kid, right? Here's some ice cream instead, right? We felt like, as parents, we got to tell him, well, no, we're in charge. You eat the quesadilla. He's like, I'm not going to. Uh, don't escalate this, right? And so, I'm starting to use like my Jesus authority, right? I'm your parent. If I tell you to eat a quesadilla, you eat the quesadilla. He's like, I can't. I'm not gonna eat it, right? And I, as I'm watching him do this, I'm getting angry, but I'm also like, my heart is breaking because I see this kid who has a very simple task in front of him. He loves quesadillas, but there's something in him that's like clamping down and making him unable to do a very simple task, and I kept thinking, there's something broken in this kid. Can we return him or something? There's something broken in this kid. If you're a stubborn person, you know exactly what that's like. You ever had something that you wanted to do, and then someone said, hey, why don't you do that? You're like, no, I'm not going to do it, because you told me to, right? There's part of us that gets stubborn, that doesn't want to do things, that can clamp down, and it scares me that it's true that when the most powerful being in the universe comes to us with all authority in heaven and on earth, and he asks us to do a very simple thing, to share our faith with people around us, That something in us just clamps down, and we get scared, or we lack courage, or we get mad, and we just refuse. I think think this is an important issue enough that that if that's you, right, if you're one of those people who's just like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it, I don't care who's asking me, I don't care who Jesus is, right? I think you need to realize there's something broken in you and maybe all you need to do today or this week in light of this text is before we even dive into it, spend some time with the Lord and say, God, what is that in me? Why is it that this very simple thing is so hard? God, what is broken in me that I'm refusing to submit to you in this area? God, I want to be obedient to you. I love you. God, everything in me screams that I should not listen to you in this one thing. God, please soften my heart. God, please help me to relax. God, please give me the faith to trust you in this. God, please let me learn what it means to walk with you in this area that is obviously so important to you. Because we know that if we surrender to God and he shows up and does miraculous things, it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And we got to meet with a lot of amazing people in the last couple of weeks. And one of the stories that stands out most to me was one, one kind of along these lines where we met this man and his wife and his daughter and he had a couple other kids as well. We'll, we'll put their picture on the screen. And We were talking to this guy and he was so full of joy and, and yet as he talked about his life, it seemed like he was going through a really hard time and we were trying to kind of add things up. Like, why is he so happy? Look how happy he looks, right? Why are these people so happy? But it sounds like your life is so hard. And so at one point, somebody asked him, hey, do you ever have trouble financially? And he kind of looked at us like, what? I said, do you you ever wake up and there's no food in your house for your family? And he said, yeah, most days I wake up and there's no food in my house for my family. And we said, well, how do you eat? Like, you got three kids? He said, well, every day we wake up and there's no food and we pray and God just always brings food. Like, how does that work exactly? He said, well, I don't know, sometimes... People bring food, other times it just miraculously shows up, sometimes we don't need to eat, other times we encounter food, it just, God, God gives us food. When we listen to this guy share about the way that he lives life, and the way that he is connected to the Lord, and the way that God just provides for his needs, and he doesn't seem worried about anything, it's just inspirational. We asked him, hey, have you always lived this way? He said, actually, no, it's only been a couple of years that we've lived this way. He said, before that, we lived in the capital city. And back in Colombo, Sri Lanka, it's a lot more open to Christianity. And there's big churches down there. And he said, you know, my my wife's dad is a pastor of a church of 5,000 people in Colombo. And so we were both on staff there. We had paychecks there. And he's talking to a translator. And He said, you know, we we worked. We did sound. We did lights. And we helped out around the church. and, And we started getting this calling from the Lord that, that maybe we should be more like in the trenches with people sharing the gospel. and He said, so we were in Colombo, and we had money, but we had no ministry. He said, and so now we're just overjoyed because even though we have no money, we have ministry now, and people are coming to Christ, and God's giving us rice to eat. It's amazing. I listen to that story. I thought, wow. This guy gets something at a very deep level, and he has to get it every day, which is that if you just trust the Lord, he shows up. And this is the type of story that inspires us. And we say, God, I want to be like that. I want to trust you, even in this. God, I want to step out in faith. I want to share my faith. I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with my provisions. I I want my life to be all about you, right? And it's inspiring, but on the other hand, I feel like these stories aren't inspiring enough because we hear them all the time and still our lives are pretty much the same, have you ever had a moment where you've been out, you've just been wrestling with the Lord, and said, God, I wanna give my whole life to you. I'm all in, whatever you want, right? And then God says, okay, I want you to go tell your mom about Jesus. You're like, ah, not that though. And the next day you're like, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I'm all in, whatever you want. It's like, all right, now go tell this person about me. You're like, okay, I'm gonna do it, right? And then you lose your nerve, and you lose your nerve, and you lose your nerve, and there's these seasons where it's like it's starting to birth something in you, and then it goes back to normal again. I can't break into this life with Jesus. In those moments, it doesn't matter that he's asking you to do these things with all authority in heaven and on earth. There's just something in you that won't let you participate in his mission on this planet. I sat with my seven-year-old and I tried to reason with him. I tried everything to get him to eat that quesadilla, right? But, But there was something in him that just refused to obey his parent, right? It's very simple. I'm a good parent. I'm nice. It's a, like, it wasn't a fish head. It was a quesadilla. I'm still a little bitter, I think. I tried everything, right? I tried the authority thing. I tried the spiritual thing. I said, hey, the Bible says, obey your parents, and it will go well with you. I tried the vision thing. I said, hey, on the other side of this quesadilla, is a whole life of things like cupcakes and donuts and pizza. All you gotta do is get through this one, it was this big, one wedge of cheese and tortilla, foods you love, by the way. All you gotta do is get through this one little triangle and on the other side, there's a buffet. Life is open to you. And he's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Like, you gotta do it, right now you gotta do it. He's like, I can't. I tried the guilt thing you know what, I'm leaving town for two weeks tomorrow. I really just wanna have a nice dinner with you and your, with our family and your friends. We're all gonna go out tonight and, and you're not gonna be able to come and we're gonna to have to stay home with you. And it's like, I don't wanna ruin everyone's night. I'm like, then eat the quesadilla. Just eat it. He's like, I can't eat it. And he said, you go on without me, I'll stay here. I'm like, what am I doing to my child? Right? I don't know what I am supposed to do. do you ever have those moments where you accidentally do something as a parent that you feel like accidentally makes you look brilliant, even though you know you're not? I Sitting with him, and I'm like, at, I'm at wit's end. I don't know how to get out of this thing. I feel like I've dug this hole as a parent that I'm about to bury myself in. Uh, and I'm praying, God, please just soften his heart to the quesadilla, right? We're, we're talking about a quesadilla here, right? It's not like on drugs, or right? anything. It's a quesadilla. And so finally, like, I felt like I stepped into this epic movie moment where, like, the lights went down and the spotlight came on me and the war music started coming up. It's like one of the, this is our Independence Day kind of speeches. And I looked at him. These are my exact words. I'm not, I don't think I'm proud of this. These are my exact words. I looked at him and I said, you know what? I can't eat this quesadilla for you, but I can eat it with you. And I grabbed this quesadilla. Like, I, I felt like I was, like, in the lamest epic film of all time, all right? And I'm like making eye contact with him and I grab this triangle that he's shredded into a thousand pieces already and I grabbed a bit of shred and I ripped off the tiniest piece and I gave him the other piece. I'm like, I need you to look me right in the eye and you and I, we're gonna go cheers and then we're gonna throw this in our mouth and we're gonna chew and we're gonna maintain eye contact till this bit is gone, right? And so I grab it. Cheers. Boom. We eat it. And he's like, oh. I'm like, just eat it. Just eat it. We got this. Right. And then I started inspiring. him. was chewing. I'm like, I love you so much. I'm with you in this. Right. I'm like, you could do all things through Christ who strength is year Right. I'm reading <laughs> Steph Curry's shoes out. I'm like, we're going for it. And he's eating it. I grab another piece. I'm like, just look at me. He's like, oh. like, just look at me. Just look at me. We're eating this thing. I'm like, we can do this together. We're going to have pizza together. It's going to be amazing. Right. And we get through this whole bowl and he's crying and I'm crying. Right. And my wife, doesn't know where we are, and then I show up at this pizza restaurant, everyone bursts into applause, and he's crying, everybody's crying, it's like, we did it, we ate a triangle of cheese, we did it, did it, and I walked away, I thought, okay, that, I dodged a bullet, my kid is going to starve to death, I was sure of it, right, and, and then I jumped into this passage a couple days later, and I was thinking about the same emotional block that I have, and that we have so often when it comes to doing to do. And I thought, man, I'm just like my kid. I won't share my faith. You won't share your faith. You won't participate in God's mission. And then I saw something I hadn't seen before at the end of this passage. That I accidentally used on my son. He says, therefore, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Then Jesus says this, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I realized as I read these words of Jesus that for my whole life I'd been envisioning the Great Commission as something that I have to go off like I'm going to war and do for God and hope that I please him out there. Where the whole time Jesus is saying, I'm not going to send you out to do something for me. I'm trying to commission you to do something with me. I read these all power and authority has been given to me like Jesus saying, listen, I'm in charge, you go. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I have all the power and all the authority on planet earth. So you and I are going to go out together and we're going to change the world because I'm telling you, I can do anything. And if I take you into this place and I give you some words and you open your mouth and share them, we can change someone's life in an instant. If you go to a city I tell you to go to and I tell you to rely on me, I can provide for you. I have all power. I have all authority. There is nothing that can stop you if you walk with me into the mission I've called you to embark. I realize for the first time, the Great Commission, is <laughs> it's not marching orders for Christians to go and please their God. It's, it's an invitation from Jesus to partner with him in a work that will absolutely change the world. And if you want to write something down today and wrestle with this truth, here, here's what I'd encourage you to write down. That, that you will start making progress in your journey of disciple-making when you begin to view it as a partnership with Jesus. Some of us, I think, including me, a lot of times need to get out of our mind this idea of doing good things for God and realize that what Jesus is calling us into is a partnership with him, is walking with him, walking by his spirit, listening to his voice, using the words he gives you, stepping into the scary situations he puts you in and realizes that he's with you as you do it. You know, On this trip, I, I remember the last time I came back from a mission trip, I was just struck with how different life is on the mission field. And, and yet this time, it was interesting, both the countries that we visited, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that, that the life and the mission that they're living is exactly the same as the life and the mission that we're called to live here. You know, the types of miracles that, that our church planting partners were, were experiencing in Sri Lanka, were the same types of miracles I've seen here in this community the same types of demonization that they experienced in their community is the same stuff I've wrestled with people here. The same types of healings, the same type of salvation, the same type of fruit in the ministry is the same thing that I've seen time and time again right here in the States. Life is the same everywhere in the world. But I think a lot of times the big difference between these movements of God that are flourishing and folks who have faith that are stagnant is in the movements people are trusting God and stepping out in faith and he's showing up. A lot of times, the only reason we don't see God at work is because we don't step into his work with him. Now, this series is called As We Go, and, and we're going to talk about how to partner with Jesus as we go through the life that he's entrusted to us. Next week, we're going to look at that word in the Great Commission going, therefore. What does it mean to go with Jesus and carry his presence into our homes, into our workplaces, into the world outside? And then the week after that, what does it mean to partner with him in disciple-making? How do we lean into his presence and see folks come to faith? We're going to spend the next few weeks after that talking about bringing it into the world, talking about baptism, talking about obedience to the commands of Jesus. And what I would love for us to start praying through now is what it would look like in your individual life and in our corporate life to be people who, who choose to surrender to the Spirit of God and partner with him in an effort that he has created To absolutely change the world forever. And the first step this week is to simply surrender your life, your agenda, your mission to God. And realize that what he's calling you to is not stuff for him. But what he's calling you to do is to walk with him and to see what he does along the way. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond in worship this morning.